Welcome to Earl Times Podcast. Today we're going to talk about what's actually legal when you're wholesaling houses. We've already uh, we've covered some other topics to kind of get you started before, but what we're what we're trying to do with with these podcasts are give you kind of a introduction to get your get you a good foundation to be able to be successful in this business. We've already discussed, you know, the fever, what you what you do when you originally get in it, or sometimes what you get caught in when a deal, you know, shows up and sometimes looks too good to be true. You see the money on the table, so you you start making bad decisions. Um, we've talked about how to find find the buyers, you know, that you need, some free and inexpensive ways to do that, how to find sellers, also free and inexpensive. Uh, but today, we want to we kind of want to go over what the uh, legalities are as far as wholesaling, because a lot of wholesalers out there are making mistakes, and what they don't realize is, if you don't actually have a, a real estate license, if you're not a licensed agent, you don't actually fall under the commission, under their jurisdiction, you fall under the attorney general's jurisdiction. So everything that you do is either legal or it's criminal. It's not a slap on the wrist, pay a fine type thing. If you get in trouble and the attorney general knocks on your door, you're, you're, cre- you're, you're basically fixing to have to go defend yourself in a criminal setting, not a meeting with the commission that says you did this wrong, you need to go you know, take continuing education courses, things like that. So let's go over some some things that are common in the wholesale industry that a lot of people do some of them they should and some of them they shouldn't whether they're intentional or not is almost irrelevant if you know the right way to do it it'll save you some grief down the road um you know a lot of people just getting into business they hear things of you know go get a google voice number send it straight to voicemail things like that there's a reason a lot of these wholesalers are kind of under the radar. They they hide behind certain things so that they can screen what's coming what's coming towards them. You hear a lot of people say, "I put up bandit signs, but I use a different number on the bandit signs. That way, it can't be traced." There's a reason for that because if the code department for that municipality calls you, you could potentially be you know, fine for that and have to pay money because it's against city ordinances a lot of places, um, if not in all places. So a lot of these wholesalers that put those signs out, they'll say, okay, I'm going to use a, a different number. That way no one can, you know, trace me and things like that. So I'll, I'll be able to listen to the voicemail, you know, and decide whether or not I want to call them back. There, that's, you can get some business with, with these bandit signs. I'm not necessarily telling you not to do it, but you need to know the consequences before you do something so that way you can make your own decision of whether it's something that you want to do and take that risk versus doing something that you know might get you in trouble and saying, you know what, it's just not worth it. So on that bandit sign you know, issue, it's, it is a risk because if a lot of people are doing it and the city starts cracking down on it, what people don't realize is 
you can actually find out who has a Google Voice number because it's you always have to forward it to a certain cell phone provider. So if a city really wants to, they could just sit there and subpoena Google for the records. And next thing you know, now your cell phone is tied to it or a different number is tied to it. An email address is tied to it. They can get your IP address and know exactly where you are. So there's no real way to hide in this day and time with technology. So if you, if you do decide to do the bandit signs, just know that you, know, you could possibly be, pay, be facing a fine of it. So you make your own decision you know, as far as whether or not you want to do that. Um, the other, the other things which are really the actual criminal type things that, uh, could get you in a lot of trouble are, are what we're really going to focus on, you know, on this episode. <clears throat> so what I want to start with is actually the, the contract. It's not technically illegal to wholesale anything whether it's houses or dishwashing detergent. You can, you can buy and sell all you want to, but it's how you do it is what makes the difference between being legal and illegal. So when you, when you get to the point now that, you, now that you know how to find buyers and now that you know how to find sellers, this is the part where you have to avoid the fever almost at all costs because if it ever does come back on you, and you don't have your documents organized, you're gonna get in trouble because you're gonna not have a way of proving that you did it the right way. So it's important to know the process of signing contracts, what order to do it, things like that. So whenever you find a, find a deal, you go out, you meet with the homeowner and everybody's happy, okay? What you need to do is you need to sign that contract before you tell anyone about it, whether it's talking to a, to a buyer, whether it's sending the pictures, a description, an asking price, and an email, whatever you want to do, make sure you have that date on the contract signed on a specific day. And you know, once you leave that, if you sit there and go and call a buyer after you have the contract signed, now you are actually doing the equitable interest that you hear everyone talking about. That's when it becomes legal. Because what happens is, is if you go out and you meet with a, with a homeowner and you don't get that contract signed and you go and you present it to a buyer, what you're doing is what they call is a licensure activity without the license. Now you can go, what a lot of people don't realize is, is you can manage rental properties, you can collect the rent, you don't need a license for it. You can hire a contractor to, to go out there and you know, do maintenance on a rental property. What you can't do is list a property or show a property without a license or equitable interest. If you do that, that's when you're committing the licensure activity without the license. So when you go out with your seller, you have to get that contract signed before you talk to anyone, send an email, show pictures, try to get another contract. If you get a contract from a buyer to purchase the property before you actually have a contract with the seller to sell you that property, 
you have now done something that is illegal. So you need to avoid that process. So what a good practice is, is you go out, let's, you know, say this is February the 11th. You go out, you meet with a, with a homeowner and you say, okay, I want to buy your property. It's great. What a good practice is, is you sign that contract on dated February 11th. You come back, get in front of your computer, you wait, you wait until you have that new date. So we're going to use February 12th as your date that you originally send this out. So what you're going to wind up doing, a lot of people think, no, I've got to get this out as fast as possible. That's a, it's a good idea, but if you're out looking at a house at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, by the time you get back, get your pictures uploaded, get the description, get all those things you know situated, you're dealing with 4 or 5 o'clock in the afternoon. So when you send this out, 9 times out of 10, you're actually going to be sending it to someone sitting at home with their family, eating dinner, watching their kids at a, at a sporting event, play a game, practice, you know, things like that. After five o'clock, a lot of people think it's their own personal time, and it should be. They work during the day just like everybody else. So you're really not actually losing any time by waiting until February the 12th, the next day, to send that out. They've done a lot of research as far as when people are online the most to get your you know, most eyes on something. And those times that people are online the most, that you get the most attention on it, are 10 o'clock in the morning and 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Now, whether that's because they've been at work for two hours and they need a break, or they went to lunch at 12 and came back and now it's 2 o'clock, so they need another break, and they get online and stop working, I have no idea why that is, but 10 o'clock in the morning and 2 o'clock in the afternoon is the best time to send so that you have the maximum impact of people online. So if you go out, you know, on the 11th, get all this information, things like that, then you turn around that next morning and you call or email your buyer, even if it's, you know, your buyer list at 10 o'clock in the morning. So you really haven't lost any time because even if you send it late in that day, no one's really going to deal with it in the first place. So you, you actually hurt yourself a lot more because by the time they get to the office in the morning, they have new issues to deal with, things like that. So they have forgotten about your deal. So you're, you're actually hurting yourself if you rush it anyway. Um, one thing that, that I always try to do is I'll use DocuSign a lot with my buyers. And then that way I actually have a timestamp location, things like that, to where if, you know, it's it's not subjective. It can't be, okay, well I met you at, you know, the diner down the street and we signed the contract. You don't you don't all you have on there are the dates, but you have no real way of proving that that's when that contract was signed. So if if you have a an Outlook account and you can you can actually go and get DocuSign for free in your in your uh, Outlook account. A lot of people don't know that. So you, if you have Microsoft Outlook as far as your email, you don't have to pay for DocuSign. It comes with it. Um, I don't know if Outlook or Microsoft owns DocuSign or not, 
but it's it's actually free if you have an Outlook account. So you check into that; that'll save you some money, um, you know, going going forward in your business. But you have to make sure that you're signing your contracts with your seller before you tell anyone about it, show anyone things like that, because again, you're committing a licensure activity without the actual license. So if you know if anybody ever reports you, you get on anybody's radar, anything like that, and now you have someone that, that wants you to answer some questions, you're, you're not gonna have good answers. And it's gonna get you in trouble. It may not be a lot of trouble, but it's trouble that you could avoid as long as you're doing it in the right way. Another thing about this contract is, if you don't have actual means to purchase the property yourself, you cannot put it under contract. What that means is, you see a lot of people as an example that go out, homeowners, they're going to buy a house. They're out looking for it. That's why they get pre-approval letters from their lender so that they actually have the ability to purchase it. They're not wasting anyone's time. It's a more professional approach to it. So when you go and you put a contract on a house, if you don't have the cash to buy it yourself and you don't have, or you don't have a, a say a lender, whether it be a, you know, a bank or a hard money lender, whoever it may be, if you don't have that ability to actually buy that property, putting it under contract is illegal. You have to have the means to be able to buy that house before you put it under contract. You're going to hear countless people tell you otherwise, but I can promise you, if you don't have the means to put it under contract, and you do, you are committing fraud. You eventually will get in trouble. So line your, your funding up, have the money, something like that. It's, it's just good business. Now, at that same point, I doubt very seriously there is less than... 90% of people that are in wholesaling that when they first started out, they, they didn't actually have the means to buy a property. So they did an illegal activity, a fraudulent activity to get into this business. It is what 90% of this business does. It's another reason why there is a bad reputation associated with wholesaling real estate because a lot of people will go out there, they'll put it under contract and then not be able to actually purchase it. So it frustrates a lot of people and it gives this, this industry a bad reputation. It's not good business to constantly cancel contracts unless there is a valid reason associated with the house. So what I always would suggest that you do is when you're getting into business, even if you're doing this without the actual means to purchase the property in some way, cash or financing, then you need to actually get to that point where you find somebody that will, that will fund your deals. And when I say fund your deals, I mean legitimately. 
you need to actually have a letter from this person with their own proof of funds, whether it's every 90 days, every six months, whatever it is, a legitimate proof of funds from this person, this lender, whoever it is, that says, I'm going to finance this property for this person. And you list the, the finances, you list their, their company, their name or their company, you list your company or your name as you're buying, and you list the property address. That is basically your pre-approval pre letter. That is basically keeping you out of trouble if it ever showed up because you have your documents in order. You need to actually have this before you write the contract to buy the house. Because if you put the contract on it, then you go find the, the means to purchase it, you have still done an illegal activity. So it's important to get that, that funding in place prior to writing the contract with that address listed on that letter. You can send that out in DocuSign, get, create you a Word document that basically you're just changing the address and the date for every one of these properties and send it out. It'll take your, your finance company or person less than a minute to sign it and everybody's happy. But do not make it a habit as you get in this business to just go out there and willy-nilly put things under contract, be reckless with your business, things like that, because you will get that reputation of somebody that constantly backs out of contracts. And you will eventually come across, whether it be a competitor in the business or someone that you, know, you were trying to buy the house from that says, you know what, this guy just didn't do right by me, so I'm gonna report him to the commission. What the commission is going to do is they're going to contact you through an investigator and they're going to ask you questions. What you're going to do is realize, not realize that they don't have jurisdiction over you and you're going to answer questions without an attorney present on that phone call. So you're going to basically walk in to a big mess. So have your, have your documents in place in the correct order before you do it. Now, I know a lot of people out there, they go, where can I find a proof of funds letter? And there's companies out there that'll give you a proof of funds letter. You know, you pay them, I don't know, $25, $50 for a letter. That does not help you because that proof of funds letter is worthless because that company is not actually gonna fund you. So basically, you providing that proof of funds letter that has no funding behind it is again a fraudulent activity so when you think oh i've got this proof of funds letter from xyz off of the internet you just committed fraud again so when you present that to someone if the questions ever arise you're you're in trouble because all of these things are going to catch up to you in the end so what i always suggest to people I don't approve of it. I did it when I first got in the business, so I'm not telling you not to do it. I'm telling you to be careful about it. So when you get in this business, and granted, you don't have the money to go and you know buy these houses, get the financing to buy them either, 
you have to get to the point to where you're putting money back in your business so that you're building your capital, you're building your cash to where six months down the road after you've been in the business, a year down the road, whatever it may be, you have the ability to go and get the property if you have to. So what that winds up doing is, is it actually helps you locate the right deals, not put everything under contract. So when you go out to a property, you think to yourself, if I wouldn't spend my own money on this house, would I actually put it under contract? Because when you start doing it the right way, you start becoming more selective of the properties you're putting under contract because in the back of your mind, you're starting to think, I'm a professional now. I do this the right way. My reputation is important to me. Keeping my word to these owners is important to me. Giving my buyers a good product is important to me. So when you start changing your mindset as you go through, you'll start being more productive and more profitable as well because if you go out and you don't know how to estimate renovations, you don't know how to how to value properties and things like that, you don't know the, your buyer's criteria that is gonna make them wanna purchase this, you start becoming reckless in the way that you're doing it. And the fastest way to fix that is using your own money to buy a house and then you can't sell it. That's the fastest way to fix it, but it's a very costly mistake to do. So when you start going out, when you're actually, you know, have enough money to put a down payment down if you're getting financing or you have enough money just to purchase the property outright with cash, when you start dispersing your own money on it, you will make better decisions because in the back of your mind, that's important to you. But at the same time, that, that owner trying to sell that property, it's just as important to them that you keep your word instead of, oh, I'll give you $100,000 for this house that's worth $120,000, you'll stop doing it. And you'll realize the importance that everyone has importance in their own way in every single deal. The owner, you, and the buyer. So when you're, you're analyzing these deals, you'll start actually thinking better, you'll make better decisions. So that, that house, instead of paying it 100, you'll look at that owner and say, if you can't sell it to me for $70,000, I'm not gonna be able to help you. And then you'll actually start helping your negotiation because you know if you can't get it at that price, you need to walk away from it. Now, you may think in your mind you're losing some deals. You're actually not because what investor out there, what buyer is gonna buy a $120,000 house for $110,000? You're not gonna sell that deal anyway. There's no point in putting it under contract. So you have to take this approach of understanding what's actually legal. And as you start understanding what's legal, you become more professional about it. This beginning, when you first get into, get into this business, you can call it a trial period. You're getting in, you're staying under the radar, you're trying not to you know, get out there and publicize what you're doing, things like that, because you're still testing the waters. You haven't gotten to that point of, hey, I can 
you know, call Joe down the road and he's going to finance this deal, or I can call this lender and they're going to finance this deal, or I have the cash to do it. So you, you're in this trial period forever how long it takes. And then once you actually start taking down the properties you're putting under contract is when you actually become a professional wholesaler and you will begin to be successful. If you're going out there, like every guru says, go put every house that you come across under contract just to try to try to get it sold. You're not a professional. You're just, you're just somebody that is naive that is seeing the sunshine and rainbows, the hope of a lot of money, but you're never going to get it because you have that fever. Until you can calm that fever back down and become a professional, you're not going to be successful. I don't care how much money you throw at real estate, you're not going to be successful. What you're gonna, if you have $100,000 to get in it and you think, I'm going to spend all this money on advertising, I'm going to do all this, and then all of a sudden you start getting all these houses under contract, and you can't get them sold, so you start letting them go, guess what? That $100,000 that you had to start is gonna disappear very quickly because when you start advertising, mailers, you're spending two, three, four thousand $4,000 a month. Mailing, you're doing AdWords, you're doing SEO, you're doing cold calling. When you start doing everything that these investors start saying, you're gonna wind up spending anywhere between ten dollars and $20,000 a month on just on advertising. That has nothing to do with you know actually running your business. So by the time you're sitting there thinking to yourself, I can do this I'm, and I'm getting all these houses under contract, leads are not always deals. And you need to understand that. So you actually have to start in a manner that focuses what's a, what's a deal and be able to tell someone no, because you're gonna run across many sellers and many buyers that are gonna, be, that are gonna tell you no as well. So you actually have to have the ability to tell someone no if it's not right for you. The deals that actually close are the deals that are right for the seller, that are right for you, and are right for the buyer. So when you go in all of these deals, you have to only put the ones under contract that are going to be legal in every single aspect of it. Now, when wholesaling originally started, what, what wound up happening is, is you would put the contract you would put a contract on a house and then you would go and find a buyer. That buyer would just basically stroke you a check and assume your contract and go straight to, to closing. It's not done that way anymore. Now you're actually in front of a t an attorney every single time you do a deal. The attorney is, is not necessarily worried if you got the dates right on the contract or if you have money to assign it, double close, they're, they're, a lot of them are not concerned with this, but you have a lot of these states now that are starting to, to get wise at what wholesalers you know, are doing, so they're cracking down on it. Illinois is a, is a perfect example trying to force wholesalers to stop doing business in their state because there's, they're, in a lot of ways, wholesalers are actually ruining the business. You, and when you think of it in a, in a total package, you have all of these companies coming out now, whether it be like say Roofstock, anyone like that that'll say, you can list your property on our website, we'll charge you 2%. Agents, you're having more agents reduce their commissions to go after these, these homeowners to get wholesalers out of the way. There is a concerted effort nationwide 
to get wholesalers out of the way and get real estate back the way that it, that it was 10, 20 years ago. The only way that you're going to be successful is if you take the legal approach and do it the right way. So make sure when you go about your business that you're putting the contract dates in order. You're, you're, you're getting the contract with the, with the homeowner that you actually have the means to purchase it before you sign your name on that contract and you don't send it to a potential buyer until you have it under contract, until you have legal authority to market that property without the license. If you have it under contract, you have the legal authority to try to sell that property. If you don't have it under contract, you're doing the licensure activity of an agent without the license. If you go and you get these proof of funds off of the internet, you are committing fraud. It's gonna eventually catch up to you because now what you don't realize is, let's say social media is out there. Someone just, you get on someone's radar. They type in your name, say on Facebook, it shows you as the person and it shows your name in different groups and what you've posted, what you've commented on, things like that. So all they have to do is sit there and type in your name on Facebook now and they get to see what it is that you're actually doing. So when you go and you say, well, I'm doing this and I'm doing that, what they see online versus what they see in person and what you're telling them are two totally different things. So they're going to want clarification on that. And if nine times out of 10, the clarification that they're going to get is you're doing what you're saying online instead of what you're telling them in person. So make sure when you go about your real estate business, you're doing it in a legal way. You, you don't have to hide behind anything if you're doing it legally. <clears throat> my telephone numbers, they come straight to my phone. They, they do not go to a voicemail. They come straight to me. I have, I have different apps on my phone that you know will ring straight to my cell phone if I'm not in the office. So it's, it's, it's not a way of hiding. Someone you know, has asked me countless times, do you put out bandit signs? I have legitimately never put a bandit sign out in my life. It, it clutters areas, it makes them look bad, and you'll wind up seeing the values in those areas start to decline because it, it just looks like junk. A lot of people do it, whether it's, you know, sell us your junk cars or come get affordable insurance or we buy houses. Everyone's doing it and it just jumps up areas. It doesn't make things look good. Now, is your buyer going to care about that? Probably not. But when you start going through, if you're not watching market trends and you're not seeing the decline in the market, your buyer, I can promise you, is. So you're going to wind up going out there and thinking, well, I can put this house under, under contract for $100,000 because six months ago it was 120. Well, today it's 110 and you didn't pay attention to the trend. So always make sure that you're doing it as legal as possible. Don't believe, you know, I, I would call it the hype. Go out there, put everything under contract. Make sure you have the means as you grow your business to actually purchase the property if you had to because it's an easy it's an easy analogy to think about it if you were in that in that homeowner's position and you were the one and they were the ones showing up 
to buy your house, would you want them to keep their word or would you want them to lie to you? If you, if you can do to them as you would want done to you, if the roles were reversed, you will be fine. If you, if you don't care, then keep doing what you're doing. Eventually, the attorney general or commission is going to catch up to you. So you're one of those that's going to weed yourself out of this business. If you want to be successful in this business, you treat that homeowner the exact same way that you would want to be treated if the roles were reversed. If you do that, you're going to be successful. You're going to miss deals, but you're going to be able to provide that service to that person when the deal is right. And those are the deals that will give you the warm fuzzies instead of giving you all of the stress when the buyers, I mean, when the sellers are calling, when are we closing, why is it taking so long, things like that. You're constantly having to lie. You're constantly having to stretch the time out. And it just adds needless stress to you for no reason. If you, if you sit there and do the things the right way, then you won't have any problems. A perfect example of that is there is a local investor here that I've known for years. We had a new fund show up. They found me online, basically SEO marketing, um, and reached out to me in the last month. Now I actually have two under contract with them, but even me going out and looking this house on Saturday from this other investor that's here, they have $53,000 in it. They told me that they wanted to get $60,000 out of it to sell it as is without doing the, the renovation on it. Just quick, quick money for them. Well, this fund shows up and tells me that they'll, that they'll give me $90,000 for this house. So now there's a $30,000 payday sitting there for me because I did my contracts in the right way. I do actually have the means to, to purchase these houses, cash, and I actually have investors that provide money when I need it. But when you, when you take a professional approach to it, give this fund a good explanation. I think they got 50 something pictures of this property. They can make an educated decision and come back and give you what you want. So before that, this, this past, starting in February, I've already passed over probably 10 deals that just were not the right fit. But I've made that up now because the right fit came along. That's where you avoid that fever part of it. You do it the legal way, contracts in order, means to purchase, funds in, in the bank or private lender ready to go. And when you get to that point, you'll find other actual investors are willing to, hey, go look at this house, get it sold for me if you can. They'll, they don't care because they know you're a man of your word or a woman of your word, and you're actually going to do right by them. So it's all in how you approach this business, whether you do it in a professional way or if you're just one of those fly-by-night let me put everything under contract type wholesalers that, you know, is not going to last long and going to wind up costing those of us that actually do this business the right way. You're actually out there costing us deals that we would have gotten because you gave that owner a, a bad taste and now they don't trust any of us. So what I'm asking every one of you to do is do it the legal way and do it the professional way. You will actually make more money long term doing it this way stay out of trouble, 
and actually be happy with less stress in your life. I typically work two hours a day and I typically make over $50,000 a month. That's just how it is because the reputation is out there. I'm doing the correct marketing and I don't have to necessarily worry where my leads are going to come from because I'm order filling. Once my buyers are, once I have a property, I already know I have that property sold because I'm filling that buyer's order based on their criteria and I'm not sending them 50 houses a month saying, please buy. I'm sending them exactly what they want to buy. So I don't, I don't have to work that much. That's why I have the time to, to do this podcast. So when you, again, when you get in this business, understand everybody is going to understand that you're having to do things in a way that you may not otherwise do to get started. Once you get to that point, stop doing it that way and do it to where you're building a business instead of flipping houses. If you keep the mentality of I'm just out there flipping houses, you're, you're, gonna, you're not going to build a business that is sustainable. So with that, I want to I wanna thank you for, for listening to, uh, to this episode. We'll, uh, we'll be back again next week. We, uh, we hope you listen to this, took it to heart, because honestly, we're trying to keep you out of trouble and let you build a sustainable business that will give you and your family opportunities that you dreamed of, but there is a cost to do it. And that cost means you have to do it the right way. We'll see you again next week. Thanks for listening.